Hey, and welcome to the show today. You're listening to SinSensor.com, Feel Your Heart podcast. And we have another really great show for you today. This podcast is made by SinSensor.com, the leading relationship institute for relationship skills and courses based on science made practical. To get the one-hour free webinar that will give you the key skills to get a safe, intimate, and passionate relationship, just go to SinSensor.com and sign up. The link is in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel and leave a review. It really helps me keep the positive energy going to make more podcasts. Welcome to the Sensor podcast today. I'm really excited about having Diane on the show. And uh, we'll, we'll, Diane will obviously tell us a bit more about herself in a minute. And we will be talking about abusive relationships and also different uh, mental health disorders and how they impact relationships, which is yeah, a first for this podcast. So I really look forward to this and also having a personal experience. This will be really interesting. So welcome to the show, Diane. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. And yeah, also, would you be able to tell the audience sitting out there and knowing who is Diane and, and also what got you into this whole field in the first place and just give them a little bit about your story? Oh, my goodness. Well, my story's kind of long, so but I'll try to keep it uh, succinct. So I am act- I actually have a doctorate in the area of marriage and family therapy. It's a pretty unusual doctorate, actually. And I have been a psychotherapist, family therapist, couple therapist for nearly 30 years. Um, I started when I was 16. Just kidding. Um, and I am also a professor. I run a very large marriage and family therapy practice uh, a program where I uh, teach people to be therapists. And I also have a private practice in the LA area, um, working with a lot of couples and working with a lot of abusive relationships. And uh, these are, I think, much more complex than most people understand. And I've had my own personal experiences that really have helped open my eyes. And it's something I would say that most professionals, like most mental health professionals, really don't get it. It's not in our training. And the ones who do understand it often don't know really how to be helpful um, to people who come in. So I'm really excited about this topic. I think it's really important. And I, I think it's just huge. And I think education, understanding abusive relationships um, is essential. There's so much bad information out there. And I'm hoping today uh, to give everyone some really useful uh, information to really help break these cycles. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Diane. And I also think often people might not even know that they have been in an abusive relationship because if that's what's kind of become normal to them, right, then it become normalized. And and I guess we can talk a bit about that later as well. And maybe we should just start with a little introduction to, you know, some of these personality disorders like um cluster Bs, like um, if we talk about narcissism or borderline personality disorder and how they impact relationships, would you be able to just tell a little bit about what these disorders really are and, and the cycles of, of those, etc., and how that might play into a relationship dynamic? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and there are you know, lots of different ways of categorizing them. Um, cluster Bs uh, is in the Diagnostic Manual for Mental Health Disorders, um, and so, and, and in my book, um, I have a popular book out called Mindfulness for Chocolate Lovers. And actually in that book, because this uh, abusive relationships are so pervasive, I actually talk about as you're working on finding your own happiness, one of the most um, common 
things that really set people back are what I call them the snakes. Um, and I refer to them, as, and I include as a snake on the road to happiness, um, the borderline personality disorders, narcissistic personality disorder, and antisocial personality disorder. And so I think these are the three that really um, become what I have seen in my many years as a, as a couple family therapist. These, these are the personality disorders that really mess you up. There are other ones out there. <laughs> But these are the three, when you get into a relationship or you have one of these in your family, um, it, it really becomes abusive and, and really can derail your entire life. So let's start with borderline personality disorder. Um, so the first thing I want to say of the three, borderline is, tr is the only one that we really have a decent treatment for. Um, borderline personality our disorders are known for having very unstable inst mood and uh, relationships and identity. Um, but almost, virtually everyone who has this diagnosis has a complex trauma that was not treated properly. So it really, is, people are beginning to look at this as a complex trauma disorder um, that's untreated. And, and if the person wants to get treatment, there can be help. Um, many of these people don't because they're so used to this pattern, but it is the only one that's actually treatable. But when you get it, they have this profound instability in their identity. And so when you become in relationship with them, they, they kind of claw, put their claws in you and they use a lot of, they can use a lot of manipulation, guilt and blame to really keep a view to keep themselves stable. And so um, they're very difficult people to be in relationship with um, because of this, but there's a, usually a lot of drama because the drama to them feels normal. They need the drama to feel, um, because if you grow up in a house that's very chaotic, the drama and the chaos is the norm. And when it's quiet, you're kind of sitting there waiting for the drama to happen. So let's just like, and so they don't like being on pins and needles and being surprised. So they just keep creating new drama, new drama, and it makes them feel alive. And it, it's just part of what they need to actually feel stable paradoxically. Even though they hate the drama often, they also keep cannot stop themselves from creating it. Um, so narcissistic personality disorder, you hear a lot of people talking about narcissism these days. And, and so there are just narcissistic traits. And then there's the full-blown disorder. And, and so there, um, it's important to kind of, you know, you will see a lot of people exhibit these traits. And I will say, um, when working with a lot of couples, that when couples go through divorce, a lot of people act borderline or act narcissistic through the divorce because it's threatening at such a survival level. Um, but the personality disorder, you're going to see these behaviors across relationships, across time, not just in times of high stress. Um, but the narcissist um, really requires uh, an unceasing admiration from everyone around them, and they really lack empathy. So, so for the narcissist, it's, they need that attention, um, and yet they're not able to be empathetic with anyone else. And it is like this black hole that you just cannot fill. Um, and so, so the narcissist, it, it's really like the name implies, it's all about them. And they will, and, and they, all of these personality types are actually usually pleasant if you give them what they need. Okay, it's that the problem is that their needs are totally unreasonable and unsustainable. But so the narcissist can be the most charming and delightful. All of these types are charming personality types. That's how we all get drawn in. 
But the narcissist, you know, if you don't give them what they need, they can be very vindictive and punishing on the other end. Um, and then the third type is the antisocial personality disorder, um, which in criminal justice literature is often referred to as a sociopath. And there's, um, we normally think of the sociopath as some kind of crazy guy, you know, going around killing people. Um, it's really more of a psychopath, which is, which would also qualify for antisocial personality disorder. But the antisocial personality disorder lacks not only empathy like a narcissist, but they also lack a conscience, a sense of, um, of doing wrong to others. They really don't have a conscience. And in many ways, in working with these types and people recovering from relationships, I would say that narcissism and, and sociopathy actually exist almost on a spectrum. And that you will see that as you, if you push many narcissists and make them feel unsafe, they, they can, you'll have some who will have a lot of antisocial traits. Um, and it's interesting, the antisocial personality really, um, they work off the compassion of others and they use the pity play to manipulate and they really are the master manipulators. Borderlines and narcissists can be, you know, good, um, are also very manipulative, but the antisocial is typically uh, a master at it. And if they're highly intelligent, they're very hard to actually identify. Um, there's uh, some Harvard researchers who estimate that 4% of the population actually qualifies for antisocial. And these are people who ultimately, they just want to manipulate people to make their life easy, whatever that means for them. And some of them need admiration. Some of them need love relationships. Some don't. It, you know, it's whatever they want, but they're going to man manipulate you to make their life easy. And they don't care about how they destroy your life in the process. So those are the three snakes I, I like to refer to. Um, and they have a lot of overlapping characteristics. And so that's why, and you'll, you know, if you're, in a relationship with a narcissist, you might notice some of the borderline traits and sometimes that's some of the antisocial traits because there's a lot of the charm and, and the basic abusive pattern is very similar with all three. Yeah, thank you so much for that breakdown because then at least I think everybody out there listening can follow a bit with us more as we, we progress through the podcast. And I also just want to add to this great breakdown you did that especially I know for borderline, the the core of, of their condition is both uh, uh, intense fear of abandonment and also emotionally yes. dysregulation. They simply cannot regulate their yes. emotions, right? So they feel them much more intensely. And I almost compare it to the, they're erratic and extreme like a child. You know, my five-year-old daughter, she will say, oh, you're my best friend. I love you. I want to be best friends forever. The next day something happened and she'll come home and say, I will never speak to this person again ever. And that's very much how, you know, I experienced when I was dating somebody once with borderline to have exactly this erratic and extreme change that just what they feel in the moment is their reality. And their cognition at that point doesn't really work where they can see the whole picture of you as a person and your whole past and that this is just something happening right now, right? Because their emotions are so intense. And, you know, at least for me, and I heard a lot of people describe that it really feels this idea that you met your soulmate because they're so good at this mirroring of understanding what you like and, and fit the identity to that, right? So it seems like you met this perfect person. It often feels so intense in the beginning and often really quickly. Again, as I heard, and many people have this experience that very quickly they will talk about big commitments, whether it's moving in together, marriage, having kids together, um, and express very intense 
emotions of affections of love because you become this favorite person that is idolized and i think the narcissist is very similar in the beginning right so like you said they can be very addictive because for some people they fulfill that need and makes us feel incredible right um and i just think it's important to know that when they are stating commitments this is what was important for me to realize afterwards it's basically, it's not always necessarily that they lie. They could be there manipulated, but not all of them. Sometimes they feel that intensity in the moment, but you need to realize like a child, it's just in that moment. So when they say, oh, I want to be with you forever, it's just like that child feeling good in that moment. It doesn't mean tomorrow that could totally change. While for a more stable person, you know, that would be a sign of commitment if you say that. And again, because Mm -hmm. it's erratic, a lot of people get so baffled, I know, at the end, and so did I, when it kind of goes to them, start devaluing you, and then there's this sudden change that often come out of the blue, right? Because we've been put on this pedestal, and suddenly, um, yeah, it goes the other way, and suddenly they devalue because they want to, you know, push you away. And then very common, again, was this sign that, they would just not always, but for a lot of borderlines that they will just block you, block contact and instantly replace because they need somebody else to soothe in their emotions and feel that sense of identity. So I just wanted to add that for people sitting out there and thinking, have I ever experienced this? These are some of like the common experiences that I know a lot of people have. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think with all three of these types, uh, they will be the most charming person you've ever met they they are uh, that is and that's what keeps you kind of usually stuck in those relationships or sucked back into those relationships because the high that everyone gets when they first meet and it is so intense and it feels like a soulmate you feel so connected it is just magic and it you feel closer off and there's this sense of intimacy and I, I think there is some real intimacy there. there there is a level of intimacy and sincerity for many of these um people there are some types particularly the antisocials who are consciously manipulating um but for many uh, you know of these abusive personalities they're sincerely when they're saying it in that moment they really do mean it like you're saying can they mean, be consistent with that absolutely not the borderlines emotions um, are so unstable they can't. And the narcissist can only feel those feelings um, and the sociopath when they're in, when you're giving them what they want. And as soon as you stop giving them what they want, they feel totally entitled to destroy you. And so it's true in the moment. Um, and because the narcissist and antisocial personality or sociopath, they lack a, a real ability to have empathy for others. When they say they love you, it's not what a normal person would mean by those words. It's true for them, but it's not what you think it actually means. Um, and, and similar with the borderline, if you don't give them what they want, they turn on you. Um, and a very can be very, very vicious, kind of like you were describing. But it's it's there's a cycle with these, the abusive cycle. Maybe I should uh, jump in and speak a little bit about this because yeah. I think this is where um, helps put all those pieces together. So the abuse cycle, we normally think of this um, and when looking at uh, physically abusive relationships, but the exact same pattern is evident in emotionally abusive relationships. And so when you're in a relationship with one of these snakes or personality disorders, um, you are going to find that there's a basic pattern. And so 
The first phase is typically called the honeymoon phase. And this is just roses and, you know, uh, fireworks and intense chemistry. You will often have the most intense chemistry with these people. You've never felt this great in your whole life. The honeymoon phase is intoxicating. It's magical. It's wonderful. So that's the honeymoon phase. And typically, um, and this is often when, like you were talking about those early promises, that's a huge red flag. If someone you're dating wants to talk long-term plans within two or three, you know, dates, um, that is a red flag for one of these personality types. So things, and so, but typically this will last whatever, two, three, six months. And then you start getting, moving into the tension phase where there starts to be little criticisms and shutting down and, you know, closing you out, you know, stonewalling you with icy coldness because you're not giving them what they want. And so then the tension begins to rise. And at a certain point, there's what they might call an explosion, which is often either a fight or some kind of big incident, right? Where the personality disordered person or the snake needs to like gets called on their behavior. And typically after that, you know, they will say, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it you know, apologize, apologize, I'll change, this never happen again, promise, promise, promise. And then they get put back um, on good behavior and you go back into that honeymoon phase. So in the honeymoon phase, you're on a pedestal and it, it feels good to be on a pedestal. Let's face it, you know, let's be real with ourselves. It feels good. That's why you keep trying to, so you're on the pedestal, everything's great. You're back into that magic phase. And then again, something starts happening, tension starts rising. And then there's an explosion, apologies, and then you round and round you go. The longer you stay in it, the shorter the honeymoon phase is and the less exciting and the fewer roses um, there are and the fewer fireworks there are in that honeymoon phase. And I have definitely worked with many couples where the honeymoon phase almost totally goes away and it's just tension and explosion. That's really um, very sad to see. But you know, in that tension phase, you're living on eggshells, okay? And, and so when you find yourself on eggshells with your partner, afraid of what to say or do, am I going to make them, you know, changing everything so you don't upset them? You do have to ask, is this some of my old stuff, you know, or, or is it really because this person is, is so punitive when I don't give them what they want? And that's your sign you're in a relationship with an abusive personality. And, and so that is the cycle that it's very important to be on the lookout for and be aware of. Yeah, thank you for highlighting that. And also, I think we talked a bit before we started the podcast here about this idea of of us often believing that it's love. And often when suddenly the, the cycle turns abusive and nasty, then we keep thinking, oh, but I really love this person. I really love this person. And it's really quite important, I think, to come to the realization that actually we are stuck in an addiction because it becomes an addiction, this push-pull dynamic, right, of being pushed away and punished and then suddenly being taken back and given this affection and it ended up becoming this high that we seek to get back. It literally, that's why, like I said, I refer to it as an addiction, like a drug. You want to get that high and then you feel so bad, so you crave that high so much. And it creates the same chemistry in the brain as well. I know when they scanned and, and looked at addictive behavior and I think it's really important to to become clear about that this is not love it's addiction because it needs to be treated in that way um, so I just wanted to bring that in there and I don't know if there's something you want to add in regards to that yeah and 
And I think what I've what I've noticed is because um, many of these personality types have a really clear Dr. Chekyll, Mr. Hyde. They have the charming, amazing side and the very punitive, punishing, harsh, often crazy side. And so what happens is they play on our 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 better natures, our compassion, forgiveness. They're highly attracted to very empathetic people. Um, and they play on that. And we there's this hope I see in people that this person's going to somehow magically change with just more love of, you know, if I can do my half better uh, and that this person wants to change, they're going to go to therapy. It's going to make it all better. Um, and, and so there's this very false hope that gets placed in that honeymoon charming phase. Um, that is how I, I think people talk themselves into going around that cycle one more time. And it does become very addictive because it's so convincing. I think an important thing to understand too um, with these types, especially the narcissist and the sociopath, um, they, some of them are what we would call pathological liars. And what that means is that they actually believe the lies they tell. If you hook, that's why, you know, you can't use a lie detector test, you know, in, in courts because so many if you're a sociopath, you will pass those lie detector tests because you believe them. You don't get the anxiety that a normal person would get when telling a lie and that the lie detector test is picking up on. So they are so convincing when they say, I am going to change because they many of them are not lying. They don't give off any of the normal cues that they are not that they're lying. And so you naively want to believe because it's it's what you hope for. And so this mix of hope, this mix of they are telling the truth in that moment, you know, um, the important, the, you know, the irony, the paradox here is that forgiveness is essential for healthy relationships, but it gets played and abused in these relationships in such a crazy way. Um, and it's that addiction really is a hope that this person's going to change. And it's a falsely placed hope because you're not looking at the full picture. You get Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That's the package. And when I work with clients so often, that's what they have to accept is that both of those people are, are who they're in a relationship, not just the good one having a bad day. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And also you started kind of talking about this a bit about the people that borderlines and and you know also narcissists etc and, and these cluster b personalities who they attract or maybe it would be interesting to talk a bit more about what personalities that get you know get drawn to each other and why so you know why is it that like you said very empathetic people get drawn to these and I also found it's it's often people that have some kind of wound themselves where you know this validation intense validation that is given in the beginning is so seductive while for other people that might be a bit more securely attached it would just feels like a bit too much um so there might also be some vulnerabilities there right in the people that are being attracted to to cluster b personality disorders and and i guess yeah what are they looking for these people that have you know narcissism borderline that would be interesting to discuss a bit what what brings these kind of people together? Yeah, so there are several different uh, possible configurations. The truth is anyone, anyone can get attracted to one of these personality types. And so it's important, I think, for everyone to know, no matter how successful you are, you know, how together you are, you know, 
anyone. And I, I think a big part of that is I, one of my, you know, I do live in the Los Angeles area, but the Hollywood love stories. So if you believe in any of those Hollywood love stories, most of them and so many of our quote unquote love songs are really honeymoon phase. You're, you're in a relationship <laughs> with an abusive personality. And so unfortunately, our love songs in Hollywood give us all of the wrong ideas of what healthy love looks like. And um, I mean, I literally go through and thumb down, you know, on my radio stations, any song that's a, you know, I'm like, oh God, that's just a first, you know, first phase, honeymoon phase, better, you know, or abusive personality song. Um, so you really have to be actually careful about what type of uh, media you take in that gives you a roadmap for relationships. So, um, so that, so truthfully, anyone can be drawn in. There is a very classic, actually, couple, which is the borderline narcissist, is a classic couple. Um, and as a therapist, you know when they're in the room because it's a much more difficult way to do couples therapy. Um, but yes, anyone who has, um, like you were mentioning too, anyone who's highly empathetic or who has their own wounds or a lot of self-doubt, the euphoria, true euphoria you get in that honeymoon phase and this just 110% validation, that sense that this is someone on the planet really understands and appreciates and validates me is, is intoxicating and um, it, it draws you in because it's it's the often many people will say, you know, that honey, that first honeymoon phase with this person, you know, was the best relationship of my life. And you keep thinking you're going to go back and, and recreate that. Unfortunately, it's just not part of the package. Mm, yeah. I think, yeah, again, thank you for that. And also one thing that I think I want to bring up, because again, what can be difficult sometimes because that it has this intensity and it feels so good like you said, we often think of abusive relationships as somebody who's just really aggressive or nasty, and, and that's how they just are. But you're right, most of these really toxic relationships start with somebody being the exact opposite. They are the most loving, you know, charming, um, intense, and even show lots of care, etc., that they seem to care about your needs, seem to be interested in the same thing as you. Um, they seem like this amazing, per perfect person. So what are some of the signs that people can look out for before they get dragged in? Because I guess the challenge is once you invested a lot of time and been with someone for you know, six, 12 months, and it's much harder to just leave and get out even when you start seeing the warning signs, right? So what are things to look out for in the yeah. initial dating phase to maybe be able to see that um, there's something here that's not quite right? Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer that question. But before that, I'm gonna just touch on a nice a metaphor I use to help people understand sometimes what happened to them. Because yes, no, no one gets into these relationships, it gets into an abusive relationship, and it starts that way. And there are, ve there are um, very subtle warning signs. And, and the metaphor I use, I, I don't know if it's scientifically correct, but the metaphor I think helps people understand. If you put a frog in a pot of boiling water, it's going to jump out immediately and survive. But if you put a frog in a pot of cold water and you slowly turn up the heat, the frog just keeps adjusting and adjusting and adjusting until it boils to death. And that's what happens in these relationships. They start off beautiful. And there are very few signs sometimes. Um, so one of them, one of the earliest sign things you're going to see is that there's this victim mentality. 
And uh, and it can be very, very subtle. It's very convincing. And, it, you know, in some ways, they usually have a point. But you'll notice that they are a victim. When anything goes wrong, they're the victim somehow. And so noting that pattern and that not taking a lot of responsibility. Now, sometimes they will verbally, if they're smart and they've been to a therapist, they may verbally take responsibility, but their actions don't match that. And so you'll notice that their words and their actions really don't always um, match up very well. So that's one thing you're going to notice is just this victim mentality. It's subtle, um, but that's one of the first signs you get. The other thing you're going to notice is what we call splitting, which is the tendency to see people and events as all good or all bad. And so there's not a lot of shade of gray. They don't see complexity in people. And so the borderline is a classic splitter, right? And, and they're the ones who you're like the best partner in the world one day and then you're the worst the next day. And they go, and that, but you'll notice they will do that with other people, other events, um, that they don't see people in, in their complexity. And so you can sometimes note that splitting. I would say the absolute charm and just being too perfect, it's like, it's too good to be true. Well, it usually is. <laughs> if it's too good to be true, it probably isn't true. So they're just so perfect. And some of these people will read your online profile. And I swear to God, they will morph into whatever you ask for to woo you. And um, especially some of these uh, antisocial personalities, you know, they they will just become that to manipulate you because they think you're going to give them whatever it is they need, whether it's you're going to financially support them or you're going to give them the love they need. Or you're going to take care of their cook, and do their laundry, whatever they think they're going to get from you. Um. So those are, uh, are some of the, you know, moving really quickly, as we mentioned earlier, they all, all of three of these types like to move, move the relationship very fast before you figure out who they are. And so that's another sign, but there's this intense and just even the intensity of the chemistry that you experience. Um, it's not always a warning sign, but it's like a yellow flag that you might be in a relationship with one of these people. Yeah, that, that those are all really important things and really good because I think they're they're possible to actually see and also like you mentioned the the victim mentality. So I also sense there's often this tendency that they talk bad about other people, their past relationships. People have done them wrong, right? That yep, past partners have exactly. done them wrong, this and etc. etc. And often there's this tendency of I know, especially with borderline, that there's this short-lived relationship. So there's probably been a lot of short relationships in the past. Um, and interestingly enough, often I found that a lot of people borderline actually are happy to reveal that they had these many short relationships. So that, again, should be a, a warning flag. I think, you know, why do they have so many short relationships? Um, for me, I know personally, I noticed the tendency to block people, which again seemed very extreme to me while I was presented with this warmth and affection um, in the beginning that made me think she was such a loving person. Then yet just in you know the first five months of being with her, she had blocked five people and, that, and I've never blocked anyone in my life. So I just thought that's so extreme. And she said to me, yes. I should block my exes. And I thought, but that's so extreme. So there will be this very extreme kind of behavior. Yes. Um, like you said, again, the going between, oh, I love them so much to they're devalued. And now they're seen as all bad, right? So yes. they, she told bad yes. and they will be blocked out of their life. And again, those, I think, are good warning signs. I didn't know that at the time. I don't know that now. I know. Um, and like you said, also the victim mentality means that very quickly, like very, very quickly, they will share 
very vulnerable like their traumas with you yeah. and and again that's what i experienced and again i that elicit my empathy and that's kind of why it happens too right because that draws you in and want to take care of them and protect them etc but it happens really fast and there's nothing wrong i advocate vulnerability myself it's so important for intimacy um so it's not to say that people listening out there you shouldn't be vulnerable and share things with your partner it's great to do that but what i'm talking about here is the intensity and how quickly it happens you know it would happening already on the third date to hear about severe yep. sexual trauma and it happens so quickly like you said playing into that i'm the victim and the world is so awful to me um so i think those are just some yeah i just wanted to add that too to what you were saying to some warning signs to really try and look out for to think oh is something happening here and also even though they might be super affectionate towards you sometimes it's possible to pick up how they talk about other people i know for me when she talked about her ex you know she would be so loving and talk so lovingly to me etc and then suddenly when she talked about her ex and i asked why they split up she would start laughing and say oh he got cancer and i don't have time for another child to look out for and <gasps> something in my stomach yeah and i wish i'd listened to that red flag and i kind of yeah. i, I kind of dismissed it and thought oh maybe i i heard that wrong or because it, it felt so good at that point right but again a yeah. big warning sign that somebody is able to again switch and suddenly be so cold Again, that's not normal human behavior for somebody emotionally stable. So some of these things might pop up if you notice and hear about their past. And it's just good to be able to look out for that. You know, my general dating advice I've given for years um, is actually marrying advice is when you look at a person and look at how they treat the person they like the least on the planet. Because if you decide to spend your life with this person, one day that will be you. Uh, and I don't care how great their marriage is or the relationship is, at some point your lives get, you know, stuck together and one of you wants to either move or change lifestyle or whatever it is. And, it, you know, the other person become, you know, you're, at some point your partner's always enemy, number one, some decision, something in life. And you're gonna, so you've got to look at how they're treating the people they like the least on the planet because that will be you. And that's, uh, you know, and that's just general who to marry, who not to marry, who to date, who not to date. And when you see cruelty in a person, it, it, it should be a bottom line, I'm walking issue when you see cruelty. And cruelty is typically what you will see in more of a narcissist or an antisocial personality. Yeah, and this is, I really like that point actually you bring up because you're right. It's also good to see how do they talk about past partners because one day that, that will, you know, that they will be <laughs> upset be with you. you and you will, you will be described in these terms. So, you know, do they talk? And also it shows whether somebody have the ability to have that emotional maturity, that relationship doesn't work out. Are they able to still, you know, get on with yes. past partners and do it in an amicable way? Or again, does it have these dramatic, extreme breakups you know if that's a pattern again that i think should be a warning sign right that there's something Absolutely. going on why is it always so extreme why do people always get blocked uh, because in an emotional stable and mature relationship even when things doesn't work out it doesn't go to that stage necessarily um, so i think what i want to talk a bit about is now if people are in these kind of relationships and uh, as we talked about it can be so addictive because it feels so good and suddenly we get devalued and we start being put down and maybe they withdraw from us and start this pattern of breaking up and then coming back and being nice and breaking up and we start feeling anxious and walking on eggshells 
details, all that stuff you described. But we so much want that good feeling back and we think maybe, just maybe if I help them, they will go back to that stage before where it was so loving. How can we break that cycle of addiction? Because it's so powerful, right? And it's why people keep going back until they get stuck in that trauma bond where they go back to something that's basically toxic for them. Absolutely. So I I do think, and I've worked with many clients trying to get out of these relationships, and I think education is real important, like what we're talking about today and understanding the abusive personalities, how they work, and so that you can see the cycle when it's happening to you and you can see what's going on clearly. Um, So I, I think education, reading books, you know, going to a therapist or even finding a friend who can um, be a sounding board, who you tell the whole story to, not just the honeymoon part, because many people hide this from all their friends and family because they're so embarrassed. So you need to be telling the full story to one of your friends, getting a reality check because you need a reality check because what happens here is you begin to lose your sense of what's up, what's down, your own reality. And and that's often gaslighting is this technique where they get you to question your reality. That's why you stay partially too. You get really confused. It's like being in a hall of mirrors. You can't tell what's real and what's not real. So you need to get external sounding boards (laughs) for yourself. You need to educate yourself so you can see what's going on when it's going on. And you then really need to work on your half of that cycle. You need to work on what, you know, why, you know, why do I let myself be on eggshells? You know, am I, is this what I want to be doing? Am I just going to be myself? Am I going to keep hiding or not? You know, why am I doing this? But what other relationship or childhood experience has me living on eggshells for someone? Where did I learn to do this? So cleaning up your half of it. And and if you're in one of these relationships and maybe it's not too severe, you're not sure how to go hard to know, you know, get a, educate yourself, get a good sounding board and then work on your half. How do you do not get become part of this crazy cycle? How do you figure out what your bottom lines are, how you're going to be treated, and not treated, stand up for yourself and then let that other person do what they're going to do. And then you make your decision from there, but you need to focus on getting yourself clear um, and yourself um not being pulled into the crazy making delusions and you need to figure out what the reality is and take responsibility for for your half of that yeah thank you and also what what i would add is i i really like the idea of being compassionate towards ourselves right because it's easy to start blaming ourselves for what's going on and thinking it's our fault and i hear that often that people say oh maybe i did something wrong and maybe i triggered this and maybe I should do something to make my that person feel better. There's nothing you can do to change their mental health issues. They can, like you said, for borderline, yes, they can get treatment. But if they don't want that and they don't even acknowledge that there is an issue, then there's nothing you can do. And like you also said in the beginning, it won't go back. And I think that realization is really really important it only get more and more toxic it's not going to go back to that honeymoon stage um it just doesn't happen it might happen small bursts when they suck you in again and then it will start over again and get worse and worse um and also one thing i thought about here as we were talking was that you know while it's good to know these patterns and be able to avoid it and and maybe even be able to break the pattern. It might be that somebody's stuck in a, this relationship and they have children and they're not willing to leave. Or it could be that it's your child that has borderline and, and maybe you, for good reason, you don't want to cut all contact to your child, etc. What are ways to then be able to 
cope if you still need to at least have some kind of relation with this person, with, with narcissism, borderline, or antisocial behavior? What are ways to to try and help them calm down their excessive and negative emotional responses so so it's not as terrorizing to be around them? Absolutely. Um, and and you know, the truth is we all work with lots of people who fit these categories. They're all over the place. So you have to get good at uh, ma- managing them it is actually a good way to think about it. You need to, to help manage them. And the number one technique um, I, I recommend is is what I call, you're going to set boundaries with zero emotion. You're going to very matter of fact, very calm. And in fact, if you can, compassion, compassionately setting very clear boundaries that you will 100% of the time absolutely um, defend. And so, and you don't, there's no drama, there's no blame. You know, this is what I'm going to do, or this is what I will tolerate. This is what I won't tolerate. And if, you know, they do something you don't want to tolerate, you have to have a, you know, uh, some kind of consequence or response that you're going to do every single time. But you have to set clear, compassionate boundaries uh, and really not discuss them too much. Just deliver the news that this is what I do, will or will not do. Um, and so and, and so I think that and if you can not keep your emotions very calm, they will escalate because they're going to try to draw you back into the dance and they're going to go more and more extreme. You know, borderlines are very famous for when you finally set boundaries with them. Yes, they will go try to, you know, commit suicide. And so that's a really tough one. It really is. So you have to calculate that into whatever your response is um, or what your plans are, what your boundaries are. So you need to think through them strategically. But once you draw that boundary, you need to just calmly defend it. And, um, and, and what happens is with people like that, they don't mess with after a while. Once they realize you aren't going to play their game, um, the drama will eventually calm down. But it escalates in the beginning because they're testing you and they're try- doing it, pulling out all their high cards to pull you back into the game. So um, I, I think that just very calm, clear, simple, non-dramatic, non-blaming, non-attacking, just this is what I do or don't do. And that's the end of the discussion. And then if you're in, especially if you're in a marriage with someone like this and you, you're not in a position to leave, to definitely have an external sounding board, I guess any relationship, to have an external sounding board who validates your reality. Because so much of what keeps this cycle going is you're questioning your own reality and perception. So you need to have a sane reality testing friendship or therapist who can help you through. Actually, that brings me perfect on to the next point, because I think we mentioned gaslighting, but a lot of people out there might sit and think, you know, what it, what what is this all about, etc. Um, and I know, even though it's more popular now, I had never heard the term when I first heard it. So for me, it was like, what is what is this gaslighting? Could you talk about what it is and how these personality disorders use that? Because I think one of the most disturbing thing about these relationships and what is, makes them so hard to recover from is the gaslighting because, you know, it creates a very, the world feels very uncertain if we suddenly start doubting our home reality, right? And I often find that's what maybe mess people up the most, that afterwards, when a relationship ends, they literally doubt their whole reality and what was real was not real. You know, I spoke to a, a woman who just come out of a relationship with a borderline and she said, you know, I've always been told by everyone, past partners, that I'm so loving and kind, but maybe I am abusive. And she started believing 
the stuff that the borderline that he had put on her. Um, and I just think, yeah, so if you can talk a bit about my gaslighting and how it actually works, so people might be able to recognize if, if they are exposed to this. So, yeah, gaslighting is getting someone to question their own reality. And sometimes um, the term actually comes from uh, an old movie where the man was consciously turning down the gaslight and she'd be like, it's darker in here. He goes, oh, no, it's not. It's the same as it's always been. So sometimes it's very conscious like that. And, but I think a lot of these people do forms of gaslighting that are, um, they're not even, they're, they're so lost in their own delusional worlds, their own mixed up realities. That they really believe what they're saying. And that's why they're so convincing because they truly believe it. Um, but so gaslighting is when they're getting you to doubt your reality. And sometimes it's by, you know, often it's saying, you know, something didn't happen or they didn't say something or, you know, that, you know, you're saying I'm using, I used a tone that was this and that's not what happened at all. And so there's a lot of like getting you to question yourself, you know, and one of the other uh, real uh, signs uh, when your first argument with one of these people, <laughs> any one of these types, what you'll find is, is my, one of my favorite conflict moves that they do is you go to tell your partner that something they did hurt your feelings or you want them to change something. And they do this crazy making spin where they turn it all around. You're the cause of it. You're the problem. You're the real problem. And you actually have a bigger problem. And then you find yourself at the end apologizing to this per your partner. And your concern, your initial concern that started the whole conversation or argument never even gets addressed. And in fact, you're to blame for that too. And so it's this like, whoa, what was that? Um, and so that type of response, I would say also, is a huge red flag that you were you in a relationship with someone who's going to be very psychologically abusive, and it's just another form of gaslighting. So there are some, the sociopath will sometimes do it truly intentionally, like in the movies, um, but many of these types, it, it, and it's also because they have such, in, like the borderline has such unstable like identity, you know, they will totally deny the other who they were yesterday because there's someone totally different today. And, and so they make you think you're the crazy one, but you're like, Whoa, you did this yesterday. You did this today. They're totally contradictory. And they're like, I didn't do that. that and you totally misperceived that. That was you not understanding what was going on. And so you get that type of stuff all the time. And so you begin to question yourself and your reality. And as I can tell you as a therapist, um, both of, I will tell you, it's true both for these uh, abusive, personal, uh, abusive personality relationships and also when you've recovered from even like sexual abuse or um, physical abuse as a child. The, the thing I have to treat, the number one aim I, I do for all of these types of forms of abuse, and in some ways I really see it clinically as like the heart of abuse, is getting that person to hear their inner voice <laughs> and trust it. And so I do a lot of work with people. It's like, okay. When you were in those early stages of the relationship, you know, and you heard her say that she left the last relationship because guy got cancer. And, she, and where did you feel that in your, that part of you that said something's wrong? That was the voice you didn't listen to. Where is it? What did it sound like? Where'd you feel it in your body? Uh, and how do we reconnect you? Because that's the voice you need to be listening to. Yeah, And so you. that's a lot of how I and, and do you know mm -hmm. what is important? Because I think people, if they have experiences, might be able to then start recognizing that and reconstruct 
their reality and trust in themselves, right? Like you said, it's about learning to trust ourselves, our, our own intuition, our sensation, the warning signs we did get because they were there and often ignored. And I think the gaslighting also means that they're excellent at making you feel that it was your fault what happened, right? Yeah. And, you know, yep. just to give an example of how this happened at the end in in my relationship where I think I'd got the third text breakup in four weeks, basically, um, which <laughs> were, when I when I came there, and this is interesting because they often have this out of mind, out of sight, right? Meaning that yep. when I was there, she would be, oh, I love you more than anyone. I would go home. Two days later, I would get a text breakup out of the blue. And then when I saw her yeah. next Next week oh I love you and then a text breakup um, and then the interesting thing was at the end then we talked about not text breakup then I got another one of course and then the next day I got an email saying oh I'm with another partner now anyway and I'm really happy take care have a good life um, oh, literally 24 hours later and and then of course I got upset I said what is the point of sending me this except trying to cause me pain to to break up by text and then emailing me that you're now with somebody else 20 that there's no point of doing this except causing pain and then she replied by saying oh you would have got upset anyway whether I did this or not and that is a good example of gaslighting on somebody trying mm -hmm. to make you feel that you have been the one who did something wrong and you were the one who were unpleasant etc and actually I because I was so confused at that point I bought into it and later when I reflected I thought what what a lot of nonsense. No, if she said with me kindly and said this relationship is over, I would have been sad, but not angry at all. Um, and so this is just an example of how often gaslighting comes across, right? Where somehow they find a way to make it sound like you did something wrong and you were the one who, who did something. That's right. Yeah, because they will typically take the blame for nothing, take zero responsibility. And if they do it verbally, they don't do it in their actions. But yeah, that's a beautiful example you know, it's a very subtle form of gaslighting. It's not this, you know, intentional, yeah. you know, changing things in your environment to freak you out. And But there are, and if you have someone that's intentionally doing it, it, it is a huge red flag. You're in a relationship with a very dangerous person. Yeah. But yes, it, it's just their instinct. It's just how they, they make sense of the world. They're constantly gaslighting because that's the only way they can keep their a coherent sense of self together. Yeah, these are fantastic, I think, for people to just also be able to reflect if they had a relationship like this and start being able to see it, I think, can be very, very healing and realize that, no, there, there is there's nothing wrong with you and, you know, you don't have to take responsibility. And also, I think an important part of the healing process is turning that compassion and empathy that we have towards ourselves, right? Because often people are so empathetic towards the narcissist, the borderline or sociopath, you know, the, that partner, and they really want to help them. But we forget to have that compassion with ourselves and are so harsh and judgmental. And I think take all that compassion and empathy and show that to yourself because we really need it to go through that healing process. Um, and I know one thing that was healing for me too was to kind of understanding the typical patterns of the ending of these relationships, is that something you would be able to also talk a bit more about how normally this goes at the very end when things, you know, start going really wrong and we're moving towards the breakup? <laughs> uh, yeah, in a word, ugly. It's almost always ugly and explosive. Um, and it is absolutely, yeah. There, and it's, uh, if you're getting divorced and literally having to go through legal, you know, proceedings these are just the craziest legal battles but they're vicious and it's almost like these personality types it is in their nature that they have to destroy you 
and make you the enemy to have a coherent, to feel good about themselves. They have to destroy you. They have to prove that you were the bad guy because they cannot take any blame for this. And so it, it becomes just explosive. Is usually it's an explosive. Sometimes they will just you know up and disappear, but um, usually there's this huge turning around and trying to destroy you psychologically to keep them together psycho psychologically. Yeah, and I think that's so true. It's a bit uh, like you said, them being able to feel that they can stay in that identity and that story that they created, right? Of, that they have been done wrong. They're the victim. That's right. So again, that's play right. into they that victim, so they cannot. And also, like you, you mentioned the the splitting of black and white, that they don't see the gray areas, which pretty much is all a life is the gray area. That yeah. Again, if suddenly they had to admit fault, that meant they also had to paint themselves all black and admit that they were all bad in their own world. And of course, nobody yeah. wants to perceive themselves as all bad so therefore they have to deny while for me i can admit that i've done something wrong or made a mistake but i know that doesn't make me an all bad person right well because they can't do that they just can't accept accountability so trying to make them understand they've done something wrong just doesn't work exactly exactly and i think also yes. a, a pattern i heard a lot is this and i wouldn't say it's particular to the condition of, of narcissism borderline but it's very common I heard that they line up a replacement so again what I experienced I heard from hundreds of other people now because again they they need somebody to help regulate their emotions and feel sense of identity and give them that validation right so it's very common yep. that a replacement is lined up before oh yes we actually get the, the breakup text or whatever it is or get blocked and that there Absolutely. is never any closure I hear people always say I want closure and I think people keep going back and back and say oh but I just want to and I did this in the beginning for a few weeks and think I want closure they cannot give you closure because often they're mm -hmm. not even aware of this and they don't understand what's happening closure can come from going to a therapist you know listening to a podcast like this go do our own work but they cannot give closure and I just think that's really important to to like you said to know and be aware of and also the smear campaigns like you said they often have to destroy you afterwards and will talk bad about you might make yeah. false accusations which is very common i experienced this myself too and i read yeah. many similar stories and i would always say it's a good idea to um, keep a trail of written things that have been sent just because it could be important in case things like you said in a divorce or where things go legal etc to have that or police is involved i know really extreme accusations that has happened yep. to with people so yeah just a just a little reminder for that <laughs> as well and i guess once we experience this it's quite common that we're stuck in that we talk about the addiction and also what people call trauma bonding are you able to talk a bit about what that is what is this trauma bond that might develop between people if they've been in an abusive relationship so the trauma bond is when you end up bonding with the abuser in an emotional way where you begin to actually take on a lot of their beliefs and views and about yourself And, and, and so you see yourself the way they do. And so there is this bond, though, that forms that even though you're getting very injured and hurt um, and this is so toxic for you, you still you can't let go because you have bought into enough of the reality that the abuser has been selling you. And um, and you see yourself as the one who needs to be, you know, more perfect so that they don't have to lose their temper or whatever it might be. 
So you, you, you buy into their story that you're the one who's the problem needs to change. And so you can't leave because you feel guilty and bad often. And so you end up staying, trying to keep making yourself fit whatever crazy mold they have. But honest to God, it's usually a moving target. So what they need the last month is not the person they need, you know, tomorrow. And you're expected to conform and shift and you're punished if you don't. So you end up trying, you get end up stuck in this and you're usually, it's that, you know, intoxicating honeymoon hopes of that returning to that is what keeps you, you know, in the largest uh, sense there. But there is this bonding that happens. Um, and that is why it's just so um, important uh, when you end up in that um, type of relationship to have a, a good sounding board where you're telling somebody the whole story <laughs> and they can help you see what's up and what's down because it really does get confusing how much of it is you, how much of it is them. The other paradox is because there is some truth in all of that. So if you want to break a cycle, not be in a relationship like this ever again, you need to look at what was, what was your half where you got yourself pulled into this and, and to really, so that you can't be fooled basically again, because there is an element of it where you, you miss some of those warning signs. So you have to go back and look at your half and figure out where you got pulled into this crazy cycle and so that you'd never, ever do it again. And I think if you go, people who go and do their homework, it actually becomes a very easy pattern to spot once you get yourself and your you know, vulnerabilities, you know, and you look at why you get pulled into this, why you needed that level of validation, whatever it was that got you kind of hooked in the beginning. And once you clean that up, you, you will be so turned off <laughs> by these folks and you will see them coming a mile away. Um, that, you know, I, I think if you do your homework, it's a very good, it's very easy to break the pattern. Yeah, and this, I think this is a really important point you bring up because I always say to people, I think it's so important to go get therapy after a relationship like this because as you said yes it's normal that we all obviously like somebody validating us looking up to us accepting us as part of just human psychology but also a lot of people that end up especially if it's a repeated pattern to get in relationship with with somebody with cluster b personality disorder then i think it's really important to look at what are the patterns that are dragging you in because maybe you know people do have certain wounds that make them receptible and why they ignore these warning signs because they have such a strong need um for for having these sensations etc right so i think it can be wonderful opportunity to start healing those old wounds and like you said once we do that we will look at this and think oh this is actually really unappealing behavior and also work on boundaries because i think a lot of people that are very empathetic and this doesn't apply to all but a lot of people also often struggle a bit with boundaries and feel you know are very people pleasing um, which is why they're great for for example the borderline and the narcissist because they often will give them and keep feeding them into this black hole like you said right um, that they want but also yeah. it means that it becomes very receptive because once we can't set boundaries they will keep stepping further and further and further um, so start doing work on boundaries and I know I did something with a somatic therapist which was wonderful of for even simple exercises where he would work towards me and I would just say stop and I would say no go back and I would control the distance and start sensing what felt comfortable and how could I control the space between how close and how distant just simple things like this to work in therapy was really useful to start learning to re-enhance those boundaries again and start sensing them more clearly 
Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, the one thing I, I always like to highlight too is that, and, it, and it's weird when you've been in an abusive relationship because on the one hand, it's the paradox is you need to see that abuse has happened and you were wrong. But on the other half, I, I don't want to also say you were totally powerless because then that makes you makes you a victim, right? That's not good either. So, and so understanding that you control that half of the dance. And what's really bizarre because I've been a therapist for a while is that I've had so many clients who get out of an abusive relationship often too quickly get into a new one and they're like so and so is 180 degree different nothing like my ex and that's when I'm like oh god um and but they haven't changed enough of their patterns and within one to two years they are back in a relationship that is eerily similar because what happens in any relationship you're going to start feeling vulnerable or unsafe at certain points. And the truth is you're going to, you have learned from your childhood how to respond to that vulnerability. Some of us go pursuing the other person, try to make things better. We people please, you know, where others, um, they learn to cope with feeling vulnerable in a relationship by distancing and, and shutting down and putting up a wall. So we all have our patterns. And if, until you learn to shift that pattern, manage that pattern, manage those behaviors, like you're saying, in terms of like setting boundaries, it's really eerie because you're bringing the, your half of the relationship of coping with intimacy, you're bringing that exact pattern into this new one. And you will often end up with a person who started out totally different, doing the exact same things that happened in your last abusive relationship. And it is absolutely eerie. Uh, how often I see that as, as a therapist. So it's so important. Usually I tell everyone to take some time off between relationships, look at your half, learn how to set boundaries like you're describing. And then you're finally in a position to even, because you're going to only be attracted actually to these super charming folks. That's part of the problem. They're so charming in the beginning. So you're not attracted to someone who's not having the, you know, who's not super charming like these uh, abusive personalities are. So you really have to do some shifting inside so that you can be attracted to a healthy personality. Yeah, I think that is so important. And taking the time to grieve and actually heal and process what has happened too, we often want to just run to the next to try and numb that emotion too, right? Because it can feel so yep, painful. Exactly. And I really like the, the saying, it's okay to not be okay. We don't have to feel great all the time, even though we always pursue that, that we need to welcome yep. all our emotions and even the painful ones are probably telling us something, you know, I think what was beautiful for me was feeling into and allowing my anger to feel that, you know, where I felt, oh, I shouldn't be angry. I should just forgive. And actually allowing that anger and therapy was wonderful and very, very healing because anger is just an emotion that tells you that you're being violated. And it's actually mm -hmm. really important to be able to listen to that. It doesn't mean that we have to act on it, but we have to be able to listen to it and recognize it, right? So finding a way to try and process all these emotions that have just trying to tell you something, I think can be so beneficial. Um, but Diane, we could speak for hours. We're already gone over an hour. So I want to finish up. But before I do, if people really enjoyed this and they want to work with you, um, find out more information about you, where can they find you on the internet? Yeah, you can find me um, on my website, which is www, and it's Diane, D-I-A-N-E, and the last name is G-E-H-A-R-T.com. And I do talk about these personality types in my book, A Mindfulness for Chocolate Lovers. Um, and 
And so, yeah, I, I encourage everyone, uh, if this has piqued your interest or you think you might be dealing with some of these issues, to definitely get help. It is, it is so freeing and liberating when you do. Yeah, and we don't have to keep reliving the same patterns. Thank you so much, Diane, for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed the show today. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel and come back for our new weekly podcast. Also, leave a review to keep the positive energy going that really keeps me motivated to make more of these podcasts. If you want to learn the key skills to a safe, intimate, and passionate relationship, then head over to sensor.com and join the free one-hour webinar. The link is in the description. You'll learn the four reasons that relationships break down, the how your attachment style may fuel conflict with your partner and how to break that cycle, why people cheat and the one tip that can prevent it, the simple three-step formula to lasting love. So thank you for joining us today and I look forward to seeing you next week for another podcast. <laughs>